Ogilvie, Certified Educator, and I am your host. If you are a teacher that wants to share or hear the opinions, experiences of other teachers, looking for innovative ideas for your classroom, learn how to apply research-based practices in your classroom, feel like your voice is not being heard because decisions are being made by people who haven't been in a classroom, then this podcast is for you. I have been in education for over 10 years and I've served in many different roles. I've been a classroom teacher, instructional coach, supervisor, and curriculum fellow. But in the end, my experience and passion for student achievement is what drives me. My hope is that we're able to share our expertise and knowledge, which helps us to learn and grow through these weekly episodes. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Teachers Impact Podcast. We have a guest today. His name is Alex, and we're going to be talking with him about teaching and learning and everything in between. We're so excited. So, Alex, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm so glad to be on the Teachers Impact uh, uh, Impact Education Podcast. Sorry, I kind of started a little bit, but um, I'm so glad to be here. I'm a seventh grade teacher in New York City, and yeah, I'm just happy to be here. I also run a podcast as well. Great. Yeah, we're excited to have you. So, yeah, let's get into it. Um, One of the things I wanted to ask you is, why did you become a teacher? I guess I want to start off in terms of, like, why I became a teacher is because, like, I guess, like, the immediate impact, like, a teacher's have in their, their community and, like, especially for marginalized communities in terms of, like, my own neighborhood, it's been kind of ravaged due to, you know, corrupt administration where the funds that are needed for the school have been not been allocated for this school, people have taken advantage of certain school districts just because of the the locus of the community. Because maybe the community doesn't have like that access to like being aware of like what's going on. So definitely, when I was an undergrad, that's one of the things that I wanted to combat and tackle firsthand. I think that teachers are the like kind of like the on the front lines of like combating these issues and. Not only that, like helping students grow in terms of like their academic abilities. I totally hear you on that in terms of like, you know, working with marginalized communities and making sure that they have everything that they need and all the resources are going to the right places. I would say for me, um, yeah, so I love to learn. I always loved reading as a little girl. And um, as I got older, I started babysitting and doing other things, and I just enjoyed working with children. I was I had a, a knack for it, as they would say. And it's funny because when I was in high school, a history teacher said to me, oh, you should become a teacher. But at the time, I really wasn't thinking like that, and I was like, they don't make enough money. <laughs> and so it's just funny now that I'm a teacher. So, you know, back to the question, I... I want to pass on that love of learning to kids because that's what's going to help them to grow and become the people who they need to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how that happens through education, right? Yeah, so that's one of the main reasons why I became a teacher, just to pass on that love of learning and to make sure that kids get the education that they need. Um, 
So being in teaching, we both know that it has its difficulties. What has been the most difficult part of your journey so far? Um, I mean, besides this year, I think every teacher has had a difficult year. This year, in terms of like um, it being like chaotic, whether you're in hybrid, remote, or um, you know, kind of building up that space where you know you have a sense of comfort this year, where with your students, because like I know for me personally, it's been difficult to do remote learning um, and like find ways to engage my students when they're at home, because you're combating like not only the, the the student's home environment, whether it be like, you know, chaotic or they have multiple siblings learning at the same time, which is in my case, uh, more than likely. Like I always hear my students background like, oh, another sibling is like learning on the computer as their teachers like shouting, you know, or going over the lesson. But in terms of the journey, I want to say like probably like getting a full-time position because like a lot of people think when you graduate, you're automatically given like a full-time position you do your student teaching all right that's enough relevant experience however like it's it's not like it's 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 there's so much more to like what being an educator in the room is so like it takes a lot of work like for me i know i didn't want to be a per diem sum like i, I could have been a per diem sub but i wanted to be in the classroom more on a daily basis and i felt that that if I was a pretty himself, looking back at the process that I went through now, because I actually started at, at a fellowship in New York City, and then I was in the classroom every day. And then once uh, I knew it was my time to go, then I left the fellowship and I took the risk. And I was a sub for a while, but not as long as I thought I was going to be because mm -hmm. like of that prior experience that I had um through that teaching fellowship and then gotcha. so like i think it's for people that like do want to become teachers like i think it's the best the hardest thing is like getting in the classroom yeah i totally hear you on that um when i first started teaching it was hard to get a, a position because i started actually in um in head start um at a preschool and that was just like it was part-time <laughs> and then from there I got like you know different full-time positions so I definitely hear you on that um I think for me the most difficult part of the journey is you know being in the classroom that side of it I think it's just dealing with all the things that you need to deal with the social emotional the parental right. side of it you know the academic side of it it's like you're dealing with the whole child mm -hmm. and with the whole child comes a whole lot of things right you have to know how to manage it and deal with it and yeah that's i think that's the hardest part about it and i don't think people realize that's what's so hard about it because you're with the kids for eight hours a day you're literally like their parent mm -hmm. <laughs> and so yeah that's the what that's been the most difficult part for me so being that we talked about the difficult part, let's talk about some rewarding parts of it. What has been the most rewarding part of your journey? Um, I guess, uh, like for me, it's been like seeing student growth. Um, in terms of like if you have uh students who were 
um, you know, at one grade scale at the beginning of the year than seeing them progress. Like, uh, for Common Core in, in New York State, I know every year, I'm pretty sure it's the same, like, everywhere else I have Common Core. Common Core releases, like, like a like a portfolio of like page of like their name where they're at you know whether they're three on a four scale on a three scale and I had two scholars that were one well on the on the one scale one was a new student one was a student that has been in the school for a while and what ended up happening was that both students presented me you know their data from last year. And, like, the kids were so engaged. I think, like, that that's what progressed them to do better on the state exam. Um, I used to do a lot of Kahoot, a lot of quizzes, like, those kind of, like, online interactive review games where the kids would, like, get really excited for. Then, like, whoever was the winner, I would give candy to, you know, just, just like, a. they would, like, I know they would, like, Starburst or this, the... There, there's another it's like stringy and it's like a it's like sour it's like sour patch and like has yeah. the, the bunny is making that weird face yeah yeah, eating yeah. It. <laughs> yeah so the kids are obsessed with those so like we'd get them on, on amazon like the bulk bin and then yeah. that would be saved for like a couple a couple like months and like every time like a kid would win like we would give them that but like overall like what the kids didn't know is that they're reviewing those skills through like you know this game, but like that was the re- most rewarding part is seeing those two in particular kids grow and kind of, um, you know, go go over that hurdle where of like kind of like self doubt whether I'm, I, I'm not good enough. Because I remember one kid, he would not the kid that transferred, yeah. he would always ask me questions, and they're the same questions that I answered that on a daily on a daily basis and I'm like you gotta relax like you you can do it and then when I met with his father he was like the same thing yeah he he like gets nervous but now I I mean hopefully I don't know where he's at now but hopefully he's at a good high school because he definitely grew in seventh grade and then in eighth grade so we'll we'll see I mean like uh in terms of like if I have any more stories like that probably will be about like right now uh, that's the most recent rewarding thing besides Mm -hmm. like besides like kids telling us currently that like we're making the class engaging given the fact that like it's a tumultuous year because like i honestly tried this year given like different articles like we did a argumentative essay on snapchat which was fun uh we did an article on this that viscal trend uh, yeah. which like all the girls were doing it matching. It was so funny, but like, mm-hmm. it was so funny to see them be engaged and kind of, you know, involved with those lessons. But overall, like, I want to say like student progression has been the number one for me. Same here. Definitely seeing those students grow. Um, yeah, for me, like I uh, taught in kindergarten for a long time and, you know, seeing them come in, they don't know their letters. They don't know their sounds. They can barely read or do anything. And by the end of the year, most of them are reading at grade level. And if they're not reading at grade level, you know, they have those foundational skills that they continue to build on as the year um, as the year goes along, I think is the most rewarding part. Because, you know, you may, when you see the growth, you know you've made a difference. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So I think 
that's what you know keeps me going because you see the difference in the kids and not just academic uh, academically too but socially you were talking about how um you know your student he had to get over some self-doubt and that's another rewarding part of it too when you see them grow uh Socially. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely it definitely is very rewarding and it keeps you going. Okay, so um, you know, being that on this podcast we talk about how to improve the education system, like based on what you've seen, based on your teaching experience so far, how do you think the education system could be improved? improved i want to say like i mean there's a there's a multiple uh, multitude of ways to like tackle this question in terms of like you know a lot of people say that common core standards should be get, uh, getting rid of which i see the point in terms of like the way that they kind of structure things i think for teachers if there's marginal growth in students then like the teachers shouldn't be like kind of you know um, hounded as they are in terms of like, you know, with the standardized data, because I know that puts a lot of pressure on us to like make these kids finish. However, I just think overall that the standards didn't, not necessarily they need to be changed, but, the, but like the overall kind of scope and sequence where teachers are assessed on how mm. well their students did, if students progress marginally, because mind you, like some of our students, I know for my students, some of them are not at grade level. And then, you know, because of, like, policies, whether it's made by, like, the the government has pushed students to continually uh, progress through education without any, you know, kind of much-needed retention because they're worried about, you know, the, the age limit of, like, high school. But... Um, yeah, I, I think that's one part where you could start, but also, like, funding. I know that certain school districts <clears throat> receive more funding than others, if you're thinking about, like, affluent versus, like, um, lower-income areas, and that those areas are more than likely where marginalized groups of students are located, and I think that's where we need to focus, like, the the resources that we, we are using, because a lot of those resources that, like, are are not using these schools could benefit these students. Like I've seen things when I was in my first year in New York city and I was in Harlem where it was a school where a lot of the kids were coming from the section eight housing projects Mm -hmm. um, right on the far left of the school. And some of the funding from the, from the school was being used for my, uh, my teaching fellowship program. And we actually got Google to come in there and they taught them like, uh, I wasn't a part of the the Google that that particular what they called it apprenticeship, but they got them to like practice coding, and some kids like really got into it. <clears throat> I remember his name still because uh, he admin was always missing name, but uh, you know he would uh, he was always showing a, like a wide interest of you know his uh, his like computer skills. So I think like when he was like applying to high schools. Honestly, don't know what happened to him, but I believe that like he uh, he like would be interested in something like that. But that's one of the things that like you know schools should be looking towards to find more of these extracurricular activities where 
you know, they're engaging students in different things, like whether it be, I know uh, uh, STEM is a huge thing now, <laughs> and like kind of connecting with like universities that do have access to like those sort of um, programs. Like I know mm -hmm. certain schools and like in my own neighborhood connect with like Hofstra. So like definitely like using those resources and like being aware of like your surroundings, whether it be going to universities and like kind of talking to them in terms of um, in terms of like building like a like these extra curricular activities to kind of heighten their learning experiences. Mm. And, that, <clears throat> and that's where I think like we need to uh, focus like our kind of like funding and like our connections like inside and outside of school. Yeah, I I hear you on that. So making those like partnerships with universities so that kids are able to like really reach their full potential, whatever that may be. Um, I know you had said earlier about, um, you know, more vocational schools. I think that's really important, especially like, you know, for kids in middle school and high school. Um, Cause not, you know, like you said, every, everybody doesn't want to go to college. Mm -hmm. um, so I think increasing uh, vocational schools and also for me, um, I think, yes, there has been a lot of money put into early childhood education, but I think there should be like more of an emphasis on training and development for teachers in those areas, because sometimes I think that the quality of, depending on the school, the quality of, you know, the quality of the child's education may suffer um, mm -hmm. because teachers don't have the training if they do have the training I think sometimes it's for lack of a better word subpar and that obviously passes on to the students right you know caveat there is great early childhood elementary schools out there but I think that's one area that could be improved because because you know you can have pre-k for all but is is it going to be quality quality education mm -hmm. and I think especially in those K to two grades, just really honing in on building those foundational skills and making sure that by the time students leave uh, second and third grade, they're reading, you know, cause that would, I think that would make such a big difference <laughs> because once they get to your level, right? Is, you know, that's not, you're not struggling with that. And you're that's, really that's, that's like, I just want to try, cause that's what I'm struggling with now. And like, like for even for my school like we've had conversations and i'm just like why was this child passed on if they haven't met you know x standards like there's no way it's for me it's like backpedaling where like it's difficult because you know as that cliche saying goes you're in between a rock and a hard place where you you have to teach your grade standards but then how can you teach your standards if your if your your student your your child right for 8 hours isn't at that level yet yes maybe they'll hit some standards but overall are they at that level and like most students who are who are like either one or two grade levels below will need like an extra year or two to 
make it to your grade. And by the time that happens, they're still below their actual grade level. That's one of the most difficult things. They're one or two grade levels behind. And yeah, you're going to see growth once you put in the work as a teacher, but they're still not going to be at, at that level. So it's like you're all that student is always trying to play catch up. The teacher is always trying to play catch up. But, mm-hmm. you know, if if they have that foundation, it's not going to be perfect. <laughs> right. Exactly. But, you know, if they have it, they it's, it's an anchor for them, you know. Um, so I think that's one of the most important things that uh, we need to focus on, you know, along with what you said, with those partnerships and uh, vocational schools, I think is going to make a big difference. Uh, my last question, I know podcasting, it, well, podcasting is a new thing now, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's actually been for going on for a long time. I guess more teachers are getting into it now. But why did you get into podcasting? I guess like one of the main reasons is so I had a personal Instagram account and I followed teachers who had like influence and they had, you know, their own podcasting kind of um, like shows in terms of like they were the host, they had guests, talked about interesting issues. But I felt like um, a lot of the people that I followed in terms of like didn't represent like my own identity as like a first generation um american or as like a a poc like teacher especially um i i felt that like i had to like like make a podcast to kind of fill that void because i didn't see a lot of like first generation um even accounts i just recently found a couple of like you know people that who are first generation educators don't have a podcast but you know they do can like have some camaraderie with me in terms of like, you know, being that first one to kind of break down that barrier and like get college educated and break down those, um, uh, what we called like white spaces where mm. it's, like, it's like, especially in teaching, like teaching is a white space where I, I want to say like, like more than 80% of like teachers are like white and, there, there is that space where, like you know, POC educators are starting to to break down that that kind of trend. But that's one of the main reasons I started to uh, podcast. Besides um, talking about you know similar issues that teachers have been having and building like camaraderie through a, a, a network of teachers, I've gotten so many great ideas uh, and like feedback in terms of like you know what I was thinking about doing in my classroom. And just venting just this year, because like this year is, I feel like is a year of venting yeah. where, where you're just like, I don't know what to do with um, this student on Google Classroom or like, did you, did you know that you can comment on this section of a Google Doc? And then like just learning from like different educators and navigating this digital teaching space through another digital space where you can ask teachers like for like resources if you're teaching like a novel for me like I, I know that's what I did in terms of like you know and like I've met these people through my Instagram account and my podcast so just gathering ideas and then being a voice for like people who didn't feel that they were necessarily represented by uh you know the grand scope of like 
you know, the Instagram podcast world. Nice. Yeah. So you definitely found a gap and you wanted to bring that representation, which I think is great because we definitely need more representation. Yeah, for me, um, I became a podcaster because I, ha- I have a lot of teaching experience, a lot of knowledge, and a lot of learning that I've gained along the years. This is like, this is my thirteenth um, year in education, and so sometimes I feel like I have so much in my head. I know so much, and I, I'm like, I need to get this out. Right. <laughs> And I thought, you know, I could share this with other people. It could be one person. It could be, you know, a thousand people um, because it's valuable. So I need to share it. Um, So that's the first reason. And the second reason is, like you said, the camaraderie, just like talking to other teachers, getting their opinions and what they think about certain topics and different areas, because I think more teacher voice is needed in education. I agree. Um. You know, you have a lot of people at the top. Yeah, you know, they make the decisions and all that. But at the end of the day, you know, teachers are the frontline workers. And if we don't have a voice, then, you know, what's the point? So, and podcasting gives you the ability to use your voice, Mm -hmm. you know, to make an impact. And so, yeah, that's why I I started it. And uh, yeah, I'm excited for what's to come for both our podcasts. Yeah, and I just want to say thank you. Alex is so patient. <laughs> I know, I know. I can see why he's a teacher because he's so patient. This is our third time trying to do the recording. So. Yeah, third time. Hopefully it works. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. No, it has to work. <laughs> but, yeah, thank you for being so patient. And, um, yeah, this was great. It was great talking to you. And uh, so where can we find you? So you can find me on Instagram, First Gen Teacher Lens, or uh, on um, my podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts. Again, First Gen Teacher Lens. Uh, it's first, like the number, and then S-T, uh, Gen, G-E-N, Teacher's Lens. Um, one word. Um, and then you can find me on all those platforms. I do have a LinkedIn tree and my... Um, instagram bio so like if if you click that tree in my instagram bio you can just that would lead you to all the platforms on there um like and subscribe thank you for for having me here by the way you know it's not their time but like it's been so great to be doing this oh thank you yeah you're welcome so yeah check out alex's link tree and um yeah you can find teachers impact on our website teachersimpact.net and thank you so much for listening if you want to reach out to any of us um you can check the show notes and talk to you soon bye bye